the ongoing series of conversations we are having with reputed translators from across the world we have with us today dr julian blacker he is the author of memory the city and the legacy of world war 2 in east central europe he has published widely on ukrainian polish and russian literature and culture he has translated the work of many ukrainian authors including Alex Sensov's short story collection Life Went On Anyway. He has written for the Times Literary Supplement Open Democracy Russia and Words Without Borders. He has been on the panel of judges for the International Booker Prize this year. In this episode we can hear him talking about his love for languages, contemporary Ukrainian literature, the way ongoing war affected writers and literature in ukraine and the book life went on anyway to buy the book you may use the link given in the show notes good morning dr blacker welcome to our podcast harshaniam thank you uh, thank you so much for the invitation can you tell us about uh, your love for languages and literature uh, where are the beginnings from Um yeah it's a good question I was thinking about how to how to answer this question um you know because I didn't in school I didn't really study languages very intensively in school I had uh, French language and Gaelic Scottish Gaelic but I uh only took them to the the kind of lower level of qualifications I didn't do what hires which is the highest school level of quali- uh, qualification in languages so It wasn't something that I was particularly focused on when I was uh, growing up but I was I I did grow up in a part of Scotland which does have bilingualism so the people it's in the northwest of Scotland people there speak Gaelic so I was used to hearing uh two languages in everyday life um so maybe that had some kind of subconsciously some kind of informed my um interest and kind of been been intrigued by that. Um but I was also just really I really loved reading and I read in translation uh you know as a child as a teen more as a teenager um I was always aware of you know the big world of literature. Um so I guess when I got to study in university I did think well why not you know learn one of the languages of the literatures that I was interested in that I was reading. Um, and as a teenager i read um quite a few books translated from russian and that's why i decided to learn russian when i went to glasgow university and it was more just as a kind of thing to do on the side like as something kind of interesting on uh in addition to my main focus of my studies which at that time was scottish literature um i wanted to do a degree in scottish literature but i liked learning russian so much that i decided to change uh my degree to uh slavonic and east european studies um i just somehow i don't know what happened but i found that i was quite good at learning russian quite you know i had a sort of knack for it um and then through that at the at the department in glasgow i was able to learn polish as well um which i also really enjoyed and you know picked up fairly quickly uh and that's that sort of brought me to 
to Ukrainian, um, just through traveling to both Russia and Poland, um, you kind of come across Ukraine, which is in between them. Um, and that was a place that really I knew very little about. I could see that it's a huge country. Um, from what I was learning, it had a very interesting, complicated history, very interesting and complicated sort of cultural landscape. But in the UK, at least nobody seemed to know anything about it. It wasn't really possible to study it. The language wasn't available anywhere that I could see. Um, I was able to learn Ukrainian a bit formally when I lived in Poland. After my studies, I moved to Poland for two years. Um, so I was learning Ukrainian through Polish, which was quite an interesting experience. Um, yeah, and that's that's sort of how I how I came to learn Ukrainian and then start translating. Which is the first book you translated? So the first full book, I guess, would be uh, a novel, a short novel by a Ukrainian writer called Taras Prohasko. Um, he is one of the most important Ukrainian writers of the sort of 2000s. Um, he is quite an experimental writer. Uh, he writes, he's very philosophical. He has a, he comes from a botanical background. That's his kind of training. So his literature has lots of plants and nature and landscapes. Um, and he comes from the, the Western part of Ukraine near the mountains. So I was really taken by his way of talking about the natural world, but in this very kind of philosophical way. Um, he has this very uh, aphoristic style of writing. And the novel is called The Unsimple. Uh, and it's written, it's written, yeah, this was my, it's Neprosti in uh, Ukrainian, and this was my sort of neologism to, 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 to uh, convey that title. Um, and it's written in these short chunks, these short little numbered fragments. Which and it's almost like a kind of philosophical tractat, uh, and there's there are bits from references to Wittgenstein in there, so and it's kind of doing something a little bit similar, uh, but it's based in it's very much about landscape, Ukrainian landscapes, the Western Ukrainian landscapes, the Carpathian Mountains, but also history. This it's got this very interesting um, experimental way of writing about history through these through this character who keeps being reborn. Uh, this this central character Anna, uh, who keeps being reborn in the story throughout the sort of twentieth century history of Ukraine. So it's not a historical novel, but history is always in the background of this sort of quite strange, fragmented style of writing. Um, and it's some some people compare him to um, the sort of South American magical realist writers, and I think you know there's there's something to that. Although his writing is a lot more, I would say condensed and focused you know he writes very short texts not these kind of long novels like uh, you know gabriel garcia marquez but yeah so that was the that was the first one i read i read and it was good for learners his writing is good for learners because it's short chunks so i was learning ukrainian i was reading these short texts and i thought i'll try and translate a couple of them and i thought well why not just do the whole the whole novel and can you um, take us through the contemporary ukrainian literature yeah, it's um, contemporary Ukrainian literature is very diverse. Um, it's something that I've been following for really 20 years. Um, you know, it was 
I did my PhD on contemporary Ukrainian literature, Ukrainian literature of the mainly post-independence period. Um, it's over that time that I've been watching it and reading it. It's certainly expanded. It's grown. Uh, you know, and, and the one thing that's happened that's been very important, I think, especially in the last decade or so, has been just the kind of institutional growth of it. So there are now there's been a, a, a sort of surge in the number of publishers and bookshops um, in things like support from you know the state for literature and culture, which when I started studying Ukrainian literature basically didn't exist. Uh, the state was, uh, I mean, Ukrainian politics is <laughs> an interesting and often complicated and problematic uh subject and especially you know in the 90s the 2000s the, the the state was very poor but it was also a state that was whose resources were being sucked out by various oligarchs and not much money was going back going into things like culture um so writers are kind of on their own the publishing industry was you know is struggling in very difficult circumstances there were, you know, in terms of my first visits to Ukraine, it's actually quite hard to find Ukrainian books in bookshops. Uh, many, many more Russian books, Russian language books in bookshops than Ukrainian books. That's, that is changing. And especially the last few years, it's changed dramatically. Um, and in that time, you, know, you, can see, you can see that there are the number, I would say the number of writers has grown, the number of professional writers has grown. Um, and it's kind of hard to, generalize what they're writing about. They're writing in all genres, in, in all different kinds of forms, you know, from intellectual poetry to genre fiction. Um, obviously, a big topic these days is the war. Um, Ukraine now has this very, I mean, it's, it's, it's already quite a well-developed war literature because it didn't, it didn't start in 2022, it started in 2014 when Russia first invaded uh, Ukraine, uh, many writers have been, uh, you know, there are many writers who have been serving in the army. There are many who have been displaced from Eastern Ukraine by the, by the fighting. Um, there are many writers who write about the experience of civilian population in these, these parts of Ukraine. Uh, and that's, that is a big theme of the literature. And Ukrainian writers are, you know, today, I wonder if there's any place in the world where writers are writing more perceptively and also, you know, critically and um, um, interestingly about war. But, you know, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't reduce Ukrainian, contemporary Ukrainian literature to writing about the war. You know, there's, there's much, much more to it. You know, one thing that stands out to me in particular is the poetry. Ukrainian, Ukraine has always been a place where poetry was kind of like, I would say, you know, considered the number one genre, the most important genre. Um, for many reasons, you know, for, for a long time, Ukrainian literature has struggled under various states and empires which tried to oppress it to varying degrees. Um, in those circumstances, it's quite difficult to become a novelist, yeah, because you need time, you need resources to publish novels. Um, it's more practical to write poetry, which can be done quickly and can be distributed more easily without the support, without the, the sort of infrastructure of, of publishing. 
so Ukrainian literature is always focused on poetry a lot. And today the poetry, poetry about the war, but not also not about the war, is really, really strong. Um, so I, that's one thing that really jumps out at me. And also I would say nonfiction has become a big thing, which you know, I would say like 15, 20 years ago, you wouldn't find much nonfiction amongst in Ukrainian literature, but now there's a lot of um, sort of autobiographical writing, essayistic writing, uh, travel writing, all of these kind of genres. And that that's also, I think, related to the war, because there's a lot of very interesting documentary literature being written about the war. You know, I think writers feel that it's important to collect testimonies to document what's happening directly, you know, without, without fictionalizing. Uh, can you talk a bit about this uh, TALT, the Agency for Ukrainian Literature in Translation? It's certainly a very, very important uh, initiative, uh, to which was set up, I think, specifically to help connect publishers with translations of Ukrainian literature. You know, I think this for a long time, Ukrainian literature has sort of struggled to be to reach, you know, big Western. Um, I mean, this is focused on the English language um, publishers. So I think, you know, the, the people who set it up, who I, I don't really know personally, I've sort of, we've had some contact, but I, I don't know them, them well. Um, yeah, they thought that just it would be good to have some kind of mechanism, I think, to, to help Ukrainian writers get into translation and get, get to the publishers, get, you know, make that link between writer, translator and publisher, which is, is, is a difficult link to make, you know, and, and without an agency and without agents, it's actually quite, it, it is difficult to get translations to big, good publishers. Um, so I think, you know, it's, 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 it's a great initiative and very, very much needed. Before we get on to the book, you have been the judge for this year's International Booker Prize, which eventually was awarded to Time Shelter by Angela Rodel. Can you talk about that experience and a bit about the books too? Yeah, so it was a really, really interesting experience. I mean, one of the most interesting things I've done in my whole life, um, you know, and the the chance to read books from so many different countries, which otherwise I would never have read, um, was just just amazing. And and also that you know the ability to discuss them with my fellow judges, who were you know people from very different um, places and backgrounds, um, but who all had just such wonderful things to say about literature, and it was just a real privilege. Um, to be part of the conversation. And and also, I, I have to say, you know, the Booker Foundation um, was just a great, great organization to be part of for a while. You know, they, it's really an organization that cares very, very deeply about literature and literature and translation. And they, they what, what I love about it is that they treat the translated literature on the same level as the English language literature. You know, they have two prizes, uh, but they are given sort of equal footing. It's not sort of like the translated literature is considered less important in some way, not at all. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's a wonderful thing. Um, there were a lot of books, so we read more than 130 books. Uh, yeah. What is the span like? How many, in how many days? Um, I mean, I think I think we started reading them in August of... 
2022, would that be right? Uh, and yeah, and then obviously we finished them by, I guess, May in uh, 23. Sort of, I remember working out, it's almost a book a day <laughs> at some point. I mean, obviously some books are very short, you know, so it's, you, you can, sometimes you could read two, two or three in a day because they're, they're nice and short, but some, but some are very long and you need two or three days. So, um, but yeah, the, the books were from all over the world. Some parts of the world are better represented than others, obviously. Um, the, the process was just to read them in, you know, read they they come they come gradually so we read like the first 30 40 then we discuss then you know that's that's how it goes um so we met every few months um i don't remember exactly but it was like every two or three months we met over, over that period um and then obviously you have more meetings for the long listing and, and then for the short listing i was really struck by how diverse this kind of literary landscape was, you know, how the, the prizes for a novel, um, but what is considered a novel and what a novel can do is a very open question. And you could see that writers in different parts of the world are uh, approaching it in different ways, um, but also sometimes doing very, doing kind of similar interesting things in different parts of the world, seemingly simultaneously. It, it was, I would say the, the, the submissions were generally dominated by European literatures, they were, but there were also many from South America, from Latin America, you know, that was a particularly strong area. Um, also, you know, Japan, Korea, quite a few very strong submissions from there. One of the shortlisted books was, was uh, from Korea. Um, but, you know, there, there are some parts of the world which are uh, sort of underrepresented. For example, I think there was only one book translated from Arabic, which was submitted. Um, from India, there was only one book which was submitted, you know, uh, and, and I'd say from the whole of South Asia, I think there was only one book. I, I don't, there, uh, maybe I, I don't remember something, but it was very few, um, which is, you know, which is a shame. There was one book, um, that's Perumal Murugan, his, his novel, Aya Pyre. Aniruddhan was Devanisti translator. Yes, 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 that's right. Um, which was, as far as I remember, was short, uh, long-listed. Um, and that was a great book. But you do sort of wonder, where are all the Indian books? And it would be nice. <laughs> Obviously, some of those are written in English. It's from that part of the world written in English, so we wouldn't have been considering them. But uh, But yeah. Now, coming to the book, the life went on anyway. When did you first come across the book and how could you get the book published? Um, so I first came across Sensov, I guess, when he was arrested. Uh, he was uh, in Crimea at the time when it was annexed by uh, Russia. Well, I, I can't remember if he was there or he sort of went back when it was when it was annexed, but anyway, he was he, he was there at that time. Uh, he was an activist standing up against the annexation. Uh, he was arrested by the Russian 
uh, forces taken to Russia. He was tried, you know, in a sham trial, accused of terrorism, um, you know, just sort of ridiculous made-up charges, and he was uh, sent into sent to prison uh, in Russia. He subsequently was on hunger strike for a long time, uh, protesting his innocence. He uh, and that that was when I heard about him when at that time when he was arrested because in Ukraine it was obviously it was quite a, a big deal. Um, there was a lot of media attention to him, um, and I picked up his collection of short stories, um, which I read and I thought they were they were very interesting. You know, he's he's a, he's a he is a known primarily as a film director, but he is a, he's also a writer. He's he's written quite a few books now. Um, and yeah, so I've had this idea to translate him. That would be a good idea to translate him. Uh, I did a couple of short texts, which um, at that time I was part of a theatre group, a Ukrainian like a Ukrainian theatre group in London, uh, and we did some uh, recorded some videos uh, of just us reading the texts. Uh, you know, we're just trying to raise awareness of his uh, his case. Um, and then the initiative came from Penn Ukraine to uh, translate the whole book of the short stories. Uh, so they put out a call for a grant uh, for someone to translate these stories and then you know publish them and have them out there so that you know to put his work out into the world, but also to um, to draw attention to his case. Um, and I applied because I'd already translated him and uh i won the grant and yeah so i translated it into uh, into english and uh and, and in order to uh apply for the grant you had to have a pub publisher already uh lined up so i contacted deep vellum and they were very quick uh and very happy to to take part in the in the in the application and yeah and it was successful the translators forward in fact, uh, in fact, whenever I read a translation, I verify whether there is a foreword from translator because it gives a context for people like us, you know, who are away in a different country. Right? This uh, particular foreword, not only for the stories in the book, uh, but also about the writer too. One of the very well-written forewords. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um... Yeah, it's I. I actually like I enjoy writing those kind of things. Um, you know, I haven't written so many, but uh, I've written a few um, sort of introductions to translators or, or you know translators uh, forwards, and I think it's a really actually interesting genre. You know, um, it and it gives you a chance to talk about obviously this writer that you value and that you uh, and sort of just tell the reader why they're worth reading and why the text is worth reading but also just you know because your translation it's your work of art it's your text but it's obviously it's nothing without the original and you have those two texts which exist in your in your head as the translator but they don't exist in the head of the, the reader or the translation together. So you have to kind of introduce those two texts to one another, show, show them sort of coming into contact uh, somehow. Um, and it gives you a chance to just, yeah, 
there's a, you know with every translation there's always some kind of interesting little nuance and little detail and little adventure that happened um some little story that you can tell um and that's that's the place to do it you know stories though they are autobiographical mostly they are very engaging but uh, i can talk about only your prose right your prose was uh, very fluid in english very very fluid but how do you describe uh, senso's style of writing yeah well thank you for saying that about the translation um his style is very straightforward i would say it's uh, it's simple it's straightforward it's, it's quite direct um you know he doesn't go in for stylistic fireworks you know it's not flowery stylistically um he tells the story in a very sort of laconic way uh he doesn't waste words it's very conversational very colloquial i would say um you know it's it feels does feel like someone is sitting there you're sitting at a table and someone is telling you the story uh in a in this quite dry uh quite funny way you know his kind of understated humor quite dark humor sometimes um so i tried to write prose and translation that would somehow feel um would not feel too formal that would feel that would that would kind of retain that kind of lightness and like you say fluidity it does feel like someone who's good at telling stories um but who's just telling you the story they're not they're not they're not focusing on producing a, a very sort of um elaborately constructed text on the page it's more like it's the voice in the moment telling the telling you the story so i tried to keep that now two of the stories from the book the first one is the dog dog is the story that talks about a relationship between the pet and the human in a very interesting way what are your reflections about this story yeah the the dog story is really heartbreaking and um i mean it's a story that many people i guess can relate to if you had a pet when you're a child you know you probably feel this story and i did you know i had i had a big dog when i was a child and and uh, maybe not quite like the dog in the story but uh yeah i could i could certainly identify with it um but i think you know what's what's happening in that story he's really it's something to do with how we build relationships how we build emotional attachments you know when we're children and then what happens when they are broken or destroyed in some ways when we lose when we lose things and a lot of the stories actually are about those early experiences of loss which you you go through as a child and and which sort of uh prepare you but also sort of don't prepare you for, for later life you know because it's it never gets easier i suppose but you know that it's that it's that being introduced to being attached to loving and then losing um and i thought that's but he, he you know he does it in such a way that's he doesn't it's not over sentimental it's you know in some ways it's he's quite a tough storyteller but at the heart of the stories there's there is a real emotional experience you know and a real emotional honesty and the other one is grandmother uh, he starts the story by saying he didn't like her 
Yes. Yeah. And the story suddenly when it gets into that second person narration, that makes uh, the story very powerful, actually. Yeah, I mean that's that, that that's true. It's that that opening is um, it's really again that's that's his uh, that's very characteristic of Sinsov. You know, he'll just like say something, which is you're just like, oh, that's blunt, you know. That's direct, but that's that's kind of how how he works, you know. And if you meet him in person, he's like that as well. I met him a couple of times. I actually met him almost like the day after he was released. He was in prison for a long time in Russia, and then eventually he was his release was negotiated. He was brought back to Kiev, and um, I, yeah, I happened to be there at that time, and the. Um, I was in touch with Tatiana Teren, who's uh, who the head of the Pen Ukraine branch, and she said, "Do you want to come and meet him?" I'd been in touch with her about the she she was the one driving the translation, actually, you know that whole initiative. Um, and yeah, we we met him in Kiev, and it was very interesting. I think he was still kind of in shock after after being released, but yeah. So that was that was my first first time meeting him. And yeah, he, he, in some ways, he does. His personality is is reflected in the, in these stories in that kind of directness. Um, that sort of there's a sort of unfilteredness about the way, about the way he communicates, you know. Um, but yeah, again, I think that one also it's um, it's that just that's a very complicated. You know, he's 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 very open to talking about how relationships are very complicated and how the people you love, you also kind of hate them as well. I mean, not always, but obviously that sometimes that happens, especially in families, you know, because you're bound together by, by blood, by living together and by this kind of love, but it's also it's often very, very difficult. And especially if you live, you know, like he grew up in the nineties in Crimea, it was very poor. Um, people are struggling to make ends meet, and you can you can see that in the in the stories, you know, absolutely in the way that this sort of grandma lives. You know, it's not an easy uh, time and place to be living in, even though you know there's there's a lot of beauty in in that place, and it's and it is a beautiful part of the world. Um, but you know, for for people in the nineties, when he's writing about or you know before, uh, it's not easy and the kind of yeah the, the tensions within families is, is brought out really well there uh, and i think it's really refreshing to read a writer who just is so disarmingly brutally honest about about these things you can see i didn't like my grandmother but then can kind of get under the skin of grandmother and explain why grandmother was like that and so it's this kind of there's a resentment but there's also real empathy and I like that sort of emotional complexity of these stories. Yeah. And uh, the way he ends it, he says, uh, the, rather you say, it's easy to love a person uh, who is far away, but hard to love a person who is nearby. Mm-hmm. It's also easy to write about all this, but hard to do anything about it. It's a very, it's a, it resonates deeply, actually, that 
that last sentence you know but hard to do anything about it because he lost you lost her yeah yeah i mean and it's yeah and he he does he has this kind of like quite um he likes coming up with these uh phrases and these you know rules for life sort of thing you know and i think that line also you know it's easy to write about this but it's hard to do anything about it and this you know this is a book about his childhood and it's a book about these things which so deeply affect you and shape you as the person you are but they happened a long time ago and there's nothing you can do about them apart from talking about them you know and that's that's what he's doing you know this is the sort of i would say there's a kind of therapeutic nature a therapeutic aspect to this but obviously you're talking about things that you can't change and you have to accept that um and i think that's every story in here is about something something happened and it's inside me and it and it's you know it's deeply inside me and it can be traumatic um or it could be some moment of just you know great beauty and freedom i felt as a child um but but a lot of it is the more traumatic things and it and it's there and i have to accept it i can talk about it but i can't make it go away you know what is very interesting is that you know writers uh, as a form of protest they write about inequalities in the society oppression and all that but uh, senso seems to be a man of uh, totally different nature i, I believe he's fighting the war now yeah so he's uh, he joined the armed forces you know when the full scale invasion began uh he's been fighting for a long time already um he's been injured several times um so it's just where you know th- those of us who know his work and who translated him there there are a few uh I'm not the only English translator of since obviously uh, Kate Turkan who's a very good translator um Daisy Gibbons another excellent translator from Ukrainian um Dmitro Kayan I think is another one who's who's translated him you know I think all of us as translators are sitting wherever we are and watching those writers that we know and praying that they're safe and some of them are on the front line um you know there's another writer called Artem Chekh who's a, who's been serving for a long time in the in the military and he's one of the, the best contemporary writers that's a writer that that Daisy Gibbons has also translated and we we just sort of yeah i think you know being a translator of ukrainian literature is part of that experience is just looking through social media and checking that those writers are still alive uh you know and, and one of those one of the writers one one prominent contemporary writer Victoria Amelina she was killed um a few months ago in a missile strike and she was someone who i had met a couple of times i translated one of her poems we did an event in london with her um she sent me a poem a few days before and said you know i'd like to read it could you translate it i i did and uh and then that that poem became after after she was killed it became you know it was very widely distributed i just thought i was translating it you know in the moment for this particular event and then it ended up in the guardian um alongside her obituary um which is just so you know it's a very very strange experience um and it it really speaks to i think what russia is trying to do in ukraine which is to 
destroy Ukraine as a state, but also destroy Ukrainian society and destroy its culture. And they are they are targeting uh, writers. You know, another writer, Volodymyr Vakulenko, who was kidnapped uh, in eastern Ukraine, was murdered. So you know, it's this, this it, it raises the stakes with the status of the writer, and it also raises the stakes in terms of what translation means. What are the projects that you're currently working on? Um, so I have a couple of different projects, uh, oh, too many as always, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they, I guess three, three translation projects I'm working on. One is a book, which is actually an academic book I'm translating, um, which is by a wonderful literary scholar called Tamara Hundrava, who's one of my sort of literary scholar heroes in Ukraine. Uh, she's written, you know, excellently about so many different aspects of Ukrainian literature. And she wrote a book about the uh, Ukrainian writer Lesya Ukrainka, who was um, writing at the turn of the 20th century. She was a modernist, a feminist. Uh, she wrote these wonderful plays, um, which kind of are about Ukraine in, 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 in sort of indirect ways, but she uses settings from ancient Greece or biblical settings. Um, you know, she's very, very plugged into kind of classical culture or world culture. Um, she and taking her in all the kind of latest hard uh, time trends in European literature. She was very much a modernizer of Ukrainian literature. Really, really interesting. Uh, her her plays are, are being translated at the moment. So there's a wonderful translator, Nina Murray, uh, who has translated Lesio Krenka's Cassandra uh, into English. Uh, and this book by Tamara Hundrova is about Lesio Krenka's life. Uh, so I'm translating that. Um, I'm also working with a wonderful poet, uh, Irina Shovalova. So she's um, one of the most prominent contemporary Ukrainian poets. And uh, I've been doing her poems for uh, a few months now. So we, we've published a few here and there. I think she's a, she's a really brilliant poet and she's, she's written some wonderful poetry in relation to the war as well. Um, and the last one is a writer called Mike Johansson. So it doesn't sound Ukrainian, but uh, he is, uh, is a Ukrainian writer who's writing in the 1920s, beginning of the 30s. Uh, he was shot by um, the, N the NKVD uh, in 1937, I believe. Um, and he was an avant-garde writer, an experimental writer. Um, and his I've translated his novel, which is called The Learned Dr. Leonardo's Journey into the Switzerland of the Steppe with his future lover, the beautiful Alceste. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Who is, who is publishing it, uh, you know? So that's been published by the Harvard University Press, and the Harvard Ukrainian Research Institute has a, a series of translations that's been published through Harvard, Harvard University Press. So that's, that's one of them. Uh, and it's, it's very, very, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a very experimental novel. Um, it's funny, it's playful, you know, it's, it's very typically kind of avant-garde, um, lots of irony, lots of wordplay, which is obviously so very difficult to translate. Um, Lots of experiment. Yeah, it's really good fun. You're right along forward for us. I actually I was I was literally just working on the forward this morning, just before we before our conversation. So yeah. Okay. 
it's wonderful uh, talking to you dr blacker thank you thank you very much and all the very best to you thank you so much <laughs>